You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. It's amazing to see you all here today. So glad to have you with us. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, which you just saw saw there on the screen in the bumper video. Helps us to prepare for this time of sharing God's Word together. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. As uh, Abby mentioned, you can go in the Riverside app and follow along. You can go to the Today tab there and and click on that uh, Mills site location that has the notes. And you can email yourself those later if you'd like to uh, study some more and unpack those in your own devotional life. Um, If you're a guest with us, I do want to let you know kind of where we've been, because I think that'll kind of help you. You're coming in at week three in this series that we've been in. And so the series is very obviously based on Psalm 23. If you do need a paper Bible, there are some in the chairs below you there. Use the table of contents if you need to find that uh, text that comes from the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures for us. And this series is thinking about all my days, and it's actually part of a bigger series, a bigger theme for this year. Riverside picks a theme, and we kind of unpack it for 12 months, and so we began last September. Here we now are now in the summer months, and we are looking at this overall theme of being all in. Jesus was once asked, hey, summarize kind of all of a faith life. And he said, well, basically for him, it was, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We're to go all in for Jesus. He went all in for us at the cross and in the resurrection. And so our response is to go all in for him. And so we've been examining, asking the question, what are we doing with all of our days? We all have days that we live, decades that we live. And so we're asking ourselves this question because David, in writing this specific psalm, very familiar psalm to many of you, in fact, perhaps you grew up reciting it or you've heard it spoken at funerals, you've heard it read at grave sites perhaps, But this psalm was written by by David, and David makes that comment in the very last verse, verse six. He says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so in this six-week series, we're asking you the question, not only how many days have you been alive, but what are you doing with the days that he's given you? Today, specifically, we're going to be focusing in on verse three, and I want to talk to you about a comment that David uses that in his time thousands of years ago in an agrarian culture that was heavy with sheep and shepherds, David makes a comment that we just miss in our Western Christianity, but it has so much impact for us. And I really want something for you. I've been praying for breakthroughs. I've been praying for something for you to come alive as we talk about the the, the idea that it's time for a refresh. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. But to those of you who are graduates, let me just congratulate you. Maybe you've uh, got one more week of school, or perhaps, hopefully, you're already done. For those of you that have graduated from high school or college or perhaps uh, post-secondary educational experiences, congratulations on all of that. I'm going to speak specifically to some of you that are graduates in just a little while. I felt very impressed in preparation for this message because this message, here's the thing. If you're just getting started out in life, if you're a teenager or maybe younger in life, you can learn learn what we're going to talk about today, and it can have a significant impact on the entire trajectory of your life. It can have a significant impact on you experiencing and dealing with hardship and heartache and difficulties. 
or it can save you. The principles that we're going to talk about here can save you from a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And some of you, you're going to wish you'd have heard this 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, because you're going to be able to say, yep, that happened to me. Yep, I wished I'd have known that. I wish I'd applied with what we're going to talk about here this morning. But before we get to that, let me give you the context of what David is doing when he writes this psalm. Lots of different thoughts about specifically when in his life he wrote it. Some think he wrote it when he was a very young teenager. Others think when he was at the top of his game as king. I believe, I'm convinced, that he wrote it late in life. In fact, the maturity and the perspective and the clarity with which David writes from a shepherd's perspective as a sheep, I think is so clear here. And I've been telling you that I think the story for this, the context for this is 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 16. You don't need to go looking that up today, but you could write it down and think about it later. I believe that David is no longer a shepherd He's a king, but his kingdom has been overthrown. There's been a coup in the palace, and his son Absalom has turned against him and has taken over Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital, was the center of David's kingdom. And I believe that David, when he writes this, is most likely on the run. He's been betrayed, and his son has taken over. And it's a mess. It's a mess. David made a series of really poor decisions as a man, as a king, and as a father. And now he finds himself on the run from his son. In fact, his son in a battle is actually killed during all of this, during all of this mess. Absalom was killed. And so there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of betrayal. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anguish. And in the middle of all of that, David is writing from a perspective of a sheep having been a shepherd. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I told you when we began this series, and again, if this is your first time, this may be a little bit different for you, but I want to invite you to participate with us. I told you that as we would go through each week, that we would recite Psalm 23 together. And I told you that we would do it from various versions of the scripture. We started with the New King James uh, a couple weeks ago. Last week was the contemporary English version. This week, I'm inviting you to read it from the complete Jewish Bible. Now, I'm a guy who likes to change my versions every year. I read everything in the digital world on, that, on my devices, and so I like to change it up. And the complete Jewish version of the Bible is a great one if you're interested in connecting our Christianity, our Western Christianity, to its ancient Jewish roots. And so I'm going to put, have them put that up on the screen, and we're going to read this. Now, the first thing you're going to notice, let me just give you a little bit of context here. This version of the Bible uses the word Adonai because that's the Hebrew translation of, of God's name. We would call it the Lord or Yahweh or those various versions from our world, but the Hebrew version of that is Adonai. So we're going to read it together out loud, verses one through six. Then I'm going to pray. And we will jump into our text here today. Are you ready? One, two, three. Adonai is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me by quiet water. He restores my inner person. He guides me in right paths for the sake of his own name. Even if I pass through death-dark ravines, I will fear no disaster. For you are with me. Your rod and staff reassure me. You prepare a table for me, even as my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil from an overflowing cup. Goodness and grace will pursue me every day of my life, and I will live in the house of Adonai for years and years to come. Father, 
As we talk about this time for a refresh today, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive from your word what you want it to accomplish in us today in this season. Thank you for every person that's here, every person that's listening by podcast. I pray, God, that you'd meet us at the exact place where we find ourselves today. You said of yourself, Jesus, that you were the good shepherd, and we come to you now. Some of us are investigating and exploring faith. We've yet to give our lives to you, but you love us, and you care for us, and you came today to meet us in this place. Others of us, we've been following you for a short time, and we come to you as your sheep who are in need of a good shepherd. Others of us, Lord, have been following you for years, perhaps decades, and we need to be reminded of some truths today. Wherever we find ourselves in our journey, would you please apply your word to our hearts, and may we walk out of this place today fully and uh, intimately aware that you care about us, that you love us, that you have a word and a plan for us, and may we be all in as we move out of this day into the days ahead, that we might live all our days all in for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. I wanna begin with a question, as I often do, to help set the context for this verse that we're going to focus in on, verse three. The question is simply this, what is our shepherd's response when we drift away? Now, David is actually going to answer that question, but perhaps you grew up, and when you think about this idea, and, and maybe for you too, this, this ancient idea of sheep and shepherd, and we're sheep, and he's our shepherd, that seems antiquated or, or just ancient to you. It's a very thematic element that runs from both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments. And so I want to invite you to just into that world. And my job, part of my responsibility as I teach through this is to bring you into that ancient text and put it into our context today. And so David has something very specific in mind as he pens verse three, something that again, we miss, but it deals with the answer to this question. Now for you, you may have grown up in a church culture or a context in whatever version of Christianity. Christianity that you lived in, or maybe some other religion, or maybe nothing, and you've never even thought about this. You don't even know what it means to drift away, but for those of us who have followed Jesus for a while, we acknowledge that we tend to wander at times, and we'll talk about that, but, but what happens when we drift away? For some of you, it may be that God's mad at you. You're convinced that he's angry, that he's just done with you. Others of you, you think that he might want to heap some guilt some condemnation. He might want to shame you. He might want to embarrass you. He might be coming with a big club to beat the living daylights out of you, that that's your perspective of God and how he would come to you as a good shepherd. I'm here to tell you that David answers that question so drastically different, it might totally shock you. Here's how David answers that question. And he answers it from the perspective of a sheep who knows firsthand what it's like to drift away. David says it this way, he refreshes my soul. Where's the wrath? Where's the anger? He says, he guides me along the right paths and notice the reason why, for his name's sake. In other words, the other ways you could translate this, David says he refreshes or he restores my soul. Literally, he refreshes me. He restores my life. He guides me along the right paths. Literally, that's the well-worn ruts. God has had paths of righteousness since before time began. And he does all of this. He does all of this refreshing, all of this restoring, all of this renewing, all of this guidance, all of this direction. He does it 
for his name's sake, for his reputation, his revealed character, who he is as God. David writes again, having been a shepherd, but putting himself in the posture, in the perspective of a sheep. And he acknowledges right out of the gate that sheep are prone to wander. That's their nature. They have a propensity to go from grassy area to grassy area, head down, not paying attention to where they're going, wanting to do their own thing. All of a sudden, they look up and they realize that they're no longer with the, with the herd. They're no longer with the flock. They've wandered away. Perhaps they've hit some rocky ground, some difficult ter- terrain to navigate, and they end up falling over. They end up falling down. And good shepherds always kept an eye on the entire flock. And David is referring to something that Jesus certainly knew about, and certainly the context of David's era would have understood this so clearly. See, what would happen often is a shepherd would be with his sheep, and he would know how many were in his flock, and he knew them by name. And they responded to his voice. They understood his direction. They would follow him. But then occasionally, they would wander and they would go off. And so imagine that you're that shepherd and, and, or imagine that you're the sheep and Jesus is our good shepherd and he's keeping a watch out and he's keeping an eye out. Well, Jesus does the same thing that a shepherd would do back then. And what would happen is this sheep would, all the sheep would be out in a field and, and again, one would wander off and the shepherd being the good shepherd would walk among his sheep and he would count them and he would pay attention. And then all of a sudden, as he's, doing this, he's counting his sheep and he's realizing, wait, one's missing. Something's out of place. Somebody's not here that should be here. And all of a sudden, he would begin to think, oh my goodness, a sheep has wandered off. And then the first thing that he would do is he would look in the sky because often there were buzzards that would be flying overhead because something specific had happened to a sheep. And all of a sudden, he would realize that his sheep had become cast. There was a specific term for a sheep that had wandered off and become cast. In fact, we have images of it in your notes, and we'll put them up on the screen. What would happen is that a sheep would lie down, and they would get comfortable, perhaps, and then they would start to roll just a little bit. And if they were too fat, or if uh, they were, had too much wool, they'd end up doing this and they would become cast. That's literally a picture of a cast sheep. And so what would happen is the predators and the buzzards would watch for this, and as soon as a sheep would become cast, if they would, their lungs would begin to fill up with carbon dioxide, they would begin to slowly suffocate to death. And if it was a hot day, it could just take hours. If it was a cold day or a cold season or a wet season, it might take a couple of days. But as soon as the shepherd realized it, he would be there and he would be counting his sheep and he would realize one's missing. And all of a sudden, he'd see the buzzards and off he would go and he would run all the way over until he found that sheep looking just like what you see on the screen behind me. And he would pick that sheep up and he would take care of that sheep and he would make sure that it was restored. When David says he restores me, he restores my soul, what David is saying is, I know what it's like because I dealt with the cast sheep, sheep that would get wandered, that would turn over and they would be helpless. And that shepherd would go and he would pick up the sheep 
and he would dust the sheep off and he would pick out the burrs and he would make sure that there wasn't any infection, there weren't any cuts, there weren't any bruises that were beyond repair. He would rub its legs to make sure that the blood flow was, would get back in and he would carry, if he could, he would carry that sheep back to the flock and he would then lay that sheep back in the flock and things would move on. He didn't beat the sheep. He didn't belittle the sheep. He wasn't angry with the sheep because he knew their nature was to wander. And they would get curious about something else. And they would begin to look in all the wrong places, even on the field. Even though the shepherd was a good shepherd, they would wander off at times. And so David says, you know what? I know exactly what that's like. Perhaps that day that David pens these words and thinks about refreshing or restoring him, he remembers the day that Nathan walked in. See, it was a time in David's life when he should have been leading the troops to battle. There was a time in David's life as a king when he should have been the general on the ground. And the record of the Hebrew scriptures is that David had sent his troops on and he stayed behind in Jerusalem. And David ended up on top of his rooftop, the perfect target for the enemy who desires to steal, kill, and destroy. David finds himself up on the roof and he notices a young woman bathing in the privacy of her own home. He sees her and he ends up calling her to himself. Her name was, if you're familiar with the story, Bathsheba. And he ends up committing adultery and murder because this king became cast. He wandered. He lost his identity along the way. He forgot what was supposed to happen as a follower of God. He wandered away, wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And just like you and I, he says, you know what? There came a day when I was a cast sheep and I needed some help. And God sent Nathan the prophet Nathan was the shepherd in this story and he confronted and he restored David to himself through Nathan the prophet, through that shepherd, Nathan. Now Jesus one day tells the story that blows our minds away when we see this truly in context. Jesus one day tells this story. Let's put it up on the screen. It'll make so much sense with things we don't catch Notice what he says. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, notice that wanders away, not if, but when, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Jesus would say of himself later, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them real and eternal life. They are protected from the destroyer for good. No one can steal them from out of my hand. The father who put them under my care is so much greater than the destroyer and thief. No one could ever get them away from me. I and the father are one heart and mind. And I love the song that Corey Asbury writes. In fact, we're gonna sing it after the message is over today. It's called Reckless Love. And there's a statement in it that helps us to see it. And when you sing it from now on, perhaps when you understand this cast and, and this wandering and this getting turned over upside down, you'll hear these words for the whole new set of lenses. He says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending reckless love of God. Now, how is he able to say that? Because that word reckless is kind of an interesting word. And you may not think of God's love as reckless, but when you think about leaving 99 other sheep to go find the one, 
from our perspective, that seems a bit reckless. But when you're the one, aren't you glad your shepherd restores you, looks for you, rescues you when you've wandered off? He says, oh, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I certainly don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. He's referring to this idea of restoring and refreshing the sheep. David gets it all, and you and I are a lot like David, or at least I am. I love what Isaiah 53, it's so honest, so brutally honest about our condition as sheep. Isaiah says it this way, all of us were like sheep that had, what, a, what? Wandered off or gone astray, it says in other translations. We had each gone our own way. And David's son Solomon, who saw all of this, who heard about all this, who, who lived through all of this, look at what he says. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. You see, the shepherd leads us along the right path of righteousness. Our tendency as sheep, though, is to head down the wrong path. David wandered. It was a costly mistake. In fact, a lot of people think, when you think about this idea, what was the biggest challenge that David faced in this life? A lot of people quickly will answer Goliath the giant that he went up against, the Philistine giant, if you remember the story. Perhaps you grew up in Sunday school and you heard it. I would submit to you that David facing Goliath was not his greatest test, was not his greatest challenge. I would submit to you that his greatest obstacle was not the giant Goliath, but himself. It's your obstacle, it's my obstacle as well. Not everybody else out there, but you inside of here. And our tendency is to wander, and oftentimes... We tend to wander from what's best for us. We tend to wander from the identity that God really has for us. We fall into temptation and we end up going after the wrong shepherds. We end up following the wrong shepherds along the way. In fact, Robert Robertson wrote the famous hymn that perhaps you've sung many times growing up. He depicted this so well in Come Thou Found. He says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind my what? Wandering, my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God didn't intend for us to wander, but he knows that we tend to wander. And David wrestled with losing his identity and drifting into temptation. And it's a reminder to us all that when you see the story of David, he was restored. He was refreshed. He repented. He acknowledged his sin. But that restoration was painful. It was difficult. And it cost his family a lot. And it's a reminder to us that when we wander, it's not just us that's impacted. It's not just us that is affected by our wandering. It impacts those around us. And the restoration doesn't erase the pain and the damage that is caused by wandering. But again, David and his family suffered for many years, but without the, without the restoration, the pain would have been permanent 
and it would have been lethal. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse three out of the message. Listen to it from this perspective. True to your word. True to your word, God. You let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Maybe you came today to catch your breath and maybe you feel like you're wandering. You're coming off of a season of wandering or you're just starting to head down the wrong path. And the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent 2,000 years ago on Pentecost weekend, that's, when, that's the day we're celebrating today, the birthday of Jesus' church. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago to empower us, to equip us, to enable us, to comfort us, to convict us, to remind us of who we are and our identity in Christ. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is gonna break through what's going on in your life right now in this season to help you to live all your days in such a way that you don't wander, that you stay attuned to his voice and you follow him wholeheartedly. You see, sheep wander just like you and I do. And for us, oftentimes it's a search for our identity. And it's looking for our identity that ends up causing us to wander and look to the wrong shepherd or look to the wrong sheep. And David, who was called a man, man after God's own heart, it happened to him. It can happen to you and I if we're not careful, if we're not attentive. We often get this confused. What we often think of is an issue of discovering our identity is really a misunderstanding of determining ownership. Who we belong to is more important than who we are because our belonging will define our being. Another way, my friend says it this way, belonging trumps being. And if you don't, if you, if you don't get anything else, get this today. You will wander when you search for your identity in something other than Christ. And there are a lot of options for you to choose from to discover your identity. But Jesus wants you to find your identity with him and in him. And he died to earn the right to be called not just a shepherd, but your good shepherd, my good shepherd. And belonging trumps being every time. You see, a, a sheep in those days, David understood this because he'd been a shepherd. He knew that he had to buy, his family had to purchase their sheep. There was a price that was paid. They belonged to them. In fact, there was a very systematic way that every time sheep would be born, the shepherd would take them and he would mark them often with a stamp somewhere in the ear so that when the flock was there, he could immediately see if there were any sheep that didn't belong to him just by their mark. He had bought them with a price. And Jesus says, I've bought you with a price. You belong to me. And if you're a graduate and you're about to head out into this fall, a whole new world, you're gonna leave home and you're gonna go to college and you're gonna pursue that thing that you're just so excited about pursuing. If you don't settle this issue now, you will end 
end up wandering. You need to understand. You need to get a hold of it, and you need to hang on to it. My identity is not in what I do. My identity is not where I go to college. My identity is not in my heritage or my family name. My identity is not in how much money I make or who I'm dating or who I end up marrying. My identity is in none of those things. My identity is in Christ. And he's the one who sacrificed himself in me. And then you can worry about the being and who you're becoming, but you focus on who you belong to. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said, I paid the price to own you. You belong to me. Now, for a lot of us, finding our identity in belonging before being often comes down to our resistance to having someone own us or control us. Talked about this a good bit last week. We, won't, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do, where to go, how to be. We don't want any control. We want anybody telling us what to do or what not to do. But this shepherd, this good shepherd does. There's just no other way around it. Now you might be sitting there, why in the world would I want that? No, thank you. Keep in mind, this shepherd has holes in his hands and in his feet. And he has a hole in his side because he loves you, he cares about you, and he genuinely wants what's best for you more than anybody else in this life. He died and defeated death for you. He's earned the right to make you do some things. And he knows better than we do what we need and what is actually good for us. And you might say, you know what? No, thank you. It's my life to live. And the good shepherd looks at you and he says, it's not your life to live. It's your life to give. And he has earned the right and the capacity to be able to look into our hearts and say that because he went first. And he always has the best intentions for you. Think about this for a minute. How many of you own a cell phone? Probably most everybody. Okay. Most of us don't take our cell phone into the ocean and swim the depths with it, do we? If, we're, if we have half a brain, we don't do that. Because the manufacturer, the creator tells us this thing will not survive that. It is water resistant, waterproof to a certain extent, but only a fool takes it into the depths of the ocean. And we don't look at that and we don't say, well, who are you to tell me where I can and can't take my phone? Our response is, thank you for telling me. I don't want to spend $800 on a phone and then have it ruined, right? We're grateful that someone told us how to handle it. Someone told us what to do and what not to do. But when it comes to God, we push back and say, no, thank you. But he's the one who created you, who loves you, who died for you, who always, always, always has your best in mind. And when you wander, his response is to come alongside you, to pick you up, to dust you off, to repair the damage, to restore you, to bring you to a place where you are renewed and he puts you back into the flock and you continue. Jesus will come back and it'll be a different story someday, but for now, there's no condemnation. 
There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's conviction. There's repentance. There's our response to all of this as sheep in a good way. But our identity is never determined by our feelings, our attractions, our temptations. And if your identity is in anything else, you are prone to identity wandering. You're prone to that. And you you look for every way, and that's where you fall into temptation. That's where you become a cast sheep. Here's how it sounds in our world today. Because people are experimenting. Maybe you have too. With various shepherds and with different paths, your emotions, things that attract you. Maybe it's the path of your talent and your abilities. Maybe it's the family path. Maybe it's labels. But here's how society says it. It's a constant, futile attempt to find ourselves. You just need to go find yourself. You do you. Be yourself. Know yourself. And love yourself. You've heard it. It's splashed all over, everywhere in our culture. But the truth is, when you do that, it's a moving target. And everybody around you doesn't know when you're doing you which version of you they're going to find. And there's often collateral damage and relational heartache and pain when you're just trying to be all about you and yourself. You've got to settle the issue of belonging. You belong to your creator, your good shepherd. Then all this being stuff tends to work itself out. What happens when you do you is you end up wandering off and you're like those cast sheep, upside down, crying out in your need of a good shepherd. Instead of trying to be you, let Jesus live through you. Let Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, live in you and through you. We are not what we feel. That is the message of our world today, but we are not what we feel. We are who God says we are. True identity is always found in belonging before being. And when you are fully identified, when you are fully rooted in Christ, all of the temptations, all of that identity wandering, all of that stuff that we're trying to do, perhaps settling for the instant gratification rather than the preferred future. When we give in to that, when we shift our attention from our identity in Christ to these other things that we pursue, we end up cast. We end up upside down. We need a shepherd looking for us. So graduates, specifically, if you're not a graduate this year and you're gonna be, pay attention right now. When, if you're a graduate many, many years ago, I got something to say to you as well. But here's the questions that people in this stage in graduation seasons of life, here are the questions that they're often asked. What are you gonna do with your life? What are your goals in life? What college are you going to go to? What job are you going to get? Now, don't get me wrong, not, not bad questions. But I wanna give you some better, what I believe to be better questions in light of what we're talking about. Because see, when you answer those things, where are you going? What college are you going to? What what job are you gonna get? What's your degree gonna be in? What are your goals in life? That leads to identity wandering. You're trying to answer those questions and you're finding your identity in those things. Those are secondary questions. I wanna give you three way better questions 
that will help to root your identity in Christ. Let's look at them together. Who do you belong to? Who are you going to be and who are you becoming? You see, those have way, way, way deeper implications for a life of purpose and meaning and adding value to this world and following Jesus. When your identity is in Christ, then you're concerned with who you're becoming, with who you are. You're working on that inward, deeper stuff. And when you get a hold of that, then when you figure out the goals, then when you go and you figure out the job, and then when you go and you figure out who to get married to and you figure out all those other things, you're not chasing after all those because you know who you are and you know whose you are. And you will not fall off the path. You'll stay laser focused on the shepherd's voice as he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his glory, for his name's sake, for his reputation. See, that's really what it's all about. It's making him famous through us. Now, there's a whole bunch of you that are wishing you'd have heard this decades ago. How many of you have ever wandered before? Let's be honest. See, if you didn't, you're probably dead. If you didn't raise your hand, we've all wandered at some time or another, but here's the good news. Because if you're sitting here thinking, too late, should have heard that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, six months ago, too late. I'm off the path. I've fallen into the ravine. I'm in the death dark valley. It's awful. Here's the good news. Because of the cross and the resurrection, you can still recover. You might have a hard road ahead. David would tell you that it was difficult, but you can still be restored because of the cross, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how long you've been wandering, there is still time. Do not delay. Come home. Come back to the good shepherd. As the worship team comes, I want to ask you one final question. Simply this, what's your response? to the shepherd who refreshes you. For a lot of us, we tend to want to run away. We're ashamed. We feel guilt. We feel condemnation. We feel like he could never fill in the blank. He could never help me be restored from what I did. He could never help me be recover from what I said, from what I didn't do. Don't buy that lie because he will always find you. When you're cast and you're upside down, remember that there is a shepherd who is vigilantly watching out for you. When you've traded the path of truth for opinions and feelings, when being has blinded your belonging, remember that there's a shepherd who is reckless in his love, passionate in his pursuit, gracious in his restoration, loving in his truth, and he sent his Holy Spirit to guide, to comfort, to empower, and to equip us. Trust his voice, not what you're feeling. He's drawing you on a path of righteousness. This is how Jesus said it on the night of his betrayal. He says, but the comforter, this is the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the helper, 
the intercessor, the one that intercedes, that prays for you, the advocate, the strengthener, the standby, the one who's right there, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things and he will cause you to recall everything I have told you. He will remind you. He will bring to your remembrance everything. Jesus kept that promise 2,000 years ago. He sent his Holy Spirit. It descended upon those early believers in the book that Luke records for us, Acts. And today we're here 2,000 years ago celebrating the birth of Jesus' movement celebrating the fact that the good shepherd is reckless in his pursuit of us. Appropriately so, because we wander and we have a good shepherd who restores us. And today is a time for refreshing my soul and yours. Let's pray. Lord, it is amazing. Every time I think of what you did for David and what you've done for me, All of this is for your namesake. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Thank you for our graduates. Thank you for the patience that you have with us when we all wander from time to time. Thank you for rescuing us, for restoring us, for refreshing us. Lord, I'm so grateful that you've settled the identity issues once and for all for those of us who belong to you. We're becoming who you are shaping us and forming us and making us into. And Father, we long to hear your words of encouragement, love, your words of grace and forgiveness, your words of blessing and truth. And we invite your Holy Spirit to remind us, to whisper those reminders of our worth and our value as we battle the temptations in this life. Help us not to settle for second best, not to settle for a shepherd that won't ultimately be for our best. Help us to overcome and to walk in victory. Help us not to follow down the wrong paths, the paths that lead to death and destruction, but instead to look to you, our good shepherd, and pursue the paths that lead to right living, the paths that lead to righteousness. For your honor and for your praise we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.